Uh, hello, um, my name is Mike Struthers. I'm the CEO of Altale Mining. Um, Altale is a TSXV listed company with uh, an operating mine and an advanced construction project in Mexico. Uh, base metals, precious metals space. Um, yeah, and uh, I joined the company in September last year. Mike, thank you for the introduction. Um... You've got a, uh, a glittering career behind you, of, kind of um, or, or, or at least a kind of a very practical career around the world. Um, and, here you are, and, and, and here you are in um, Altale, a small company. I see that you've worked for some big companies in the past. Could you tell me how, to just kind of summarise what the main activities of your career and... Um, how you ended up in Altale. It's, it's always a bit of a challenge to summarise what, when you start to explain it to people, you realise how long it was, <laughs> how long it's been. And so uh, to precede that into, you know, a couple of sentences um, is always interesting. Um, I started out in the Zambian Copper Belt, uh, actually, in 1980. Um, I was a mining geologist originally. Uh, quickly moved into uh, rock engineering, which was a sort of specialization of mine, which I then continued with for probably 20 or 20 or so years. Um, so I, I, after the Zambian Copper Belt, I moved to Australia. Uh, I was in operations there as well. I worked at the, the famous Mount Isa field for, for some years, um, ended up by managing a, an internal group of specialists in rock engineering and blasting and various other technical disciplines. Yes, I've, I've had a, a, a principally technical and operations career. Um, after, after a spell in Australia, I was in Australia for 10 years. Um, I moved to London, opened a, an office for a consulting firm there that I was working with. Um, ran that for a while. Um, I was, I was consulting internationally, initially in, you know, in a, in a niche area, as I said, rock engineering, but that just over time progressively got more and more involved in broader engineering studies, feasibility studies, etc. Um, had an interesting spell for two or three years in, in Russia. I was, I was involved in a joint venture um, on a very large zinc asset in southern Siberia. Um, that naturally generated a lot of stories. Um, but it turned out that that joint venture was in fact with the Lundin Mining Group, and that's where I got to know the Lundin guys. Um, Lundin unfortunately uh, caught a cold on that joint venture and withdrew, but um, uh, reached out to me a while afterwards and said, look, we need some help in our operations in Portugal. Um, come and join us. And that's what I did. Um, so then I was based in Portugal for uh, about four, four or so years at the Nevis Corvo operations in the south of the country. Um, and that, that was about 12 years ago? That was about 12 years ago. That's right, when I moved over to Portugal. And, uh, and I, my responsibility there was to run some uh, studies and engineering and, and construction as well to expand the Nevis Corvo zinc business. Um, at the time, they were doing about about two and a half million tons a year of copper, but only about a million tons a year of zinc. So we uh, we progressively improved that over a couple of stages. We raised it up to about two hundred, uh, sorry, two and a half million tons a year of zinc as well. So um, uh, in twenty fourteen, Lundin acquired the Candelaria field in Chile, and so uh, shortly after that, I, I got involved in similar sort of capital projects brief with Lundin over in Chile. 
um, again, expanding plants, expanding the underground mines there, um, and a variety, a variety of other, other studies, yeah. That's a, a coastal um, IOCG, iron oxide, copper, gold, isn't it? Kind of, uh, for, um, it's not too far from the coast. Yeah, it's about, it's about an hour from the coast, but yeah. Um, and um, a fascinating field. Um, lots of artisanal mining around the district, you know, long history of mining, a uh, variety of underground. Uh, underground are obviously one very large open pit operation like Candelaria itself. But we were also looking at opportunities up in the high Andes um, for for other assets that we may acquire and utilize the infrastructure that Candelaria had, um, which was extensive. So that was a very interesting dimension to some of those to some of those studies. Um, though I did that for for a few years as well, uh, and a, a variety of as I say, a variety of projects, you know, tailings, expansions, and mines, and etc. So a lot of a lot of that part of my career is capital projects, particularly particularly brownfield expansionary work um, at existing operations. Um, at the end of 2017, I took the bold leap into the juniors market. Um, and so I, uh, I, I became, I was initially COO, became CEO of uh, a group listed in London on AIM um, called Empire Metals. It was Georgian Mining Corporation because the company held some uh, some advanced and early stage exploration targets in Georgia and Eastern Europe. Um, regrettably, I spent uh, a couple of years in that role fighting the Georgian government and permits and all that sort of thing and, and some slightly uh, complex relationships with uh, Russian joint venture partners who were 50-50. Having done a 50-50 JV in Russia with the Lundin Group, I said I'd never do it again and then lo and behold, um, I got involved in Georgia and did it again. Um, but anyway, so that was an interesting experience, uh, trying to solve those sorts of political problems. Um, I found myself for the first time operating at sort of ministerial level and, and you know, trying to unwrap this. Lots to do with um, uh, embassy, British and American embassy staff and, you know, all, all of that. So it became an interesting uh, departure from my my otherwise uh, technical operating sort of capital projects career. Um, <clears throat> uh, eventually, we uh, we extracted ourselves from that, um, and the focus of Empire became gold projects in Australia. Um, so about eighteen months or so ago, I, I I stepped away from that company. I joined Candelaria Mining, um, not the same Candelaria, but a different one. Um, this Candelaria mining is uh, TSXV listed junior. I was the CEO of Candelaria. Indeed, I, I, I effectively I still am, but uh, that, that's another story, and it doesn't take any of my time really. Um, but uh, Candelaria also has assets in Mexico, so that was my first introduction to uh, to the uh, gold and exploration sector in, in in Mexico. So I've been involved in Mexico for. Uh, for just over a couple of years now. Now, so Altelay really uh, um, first met the Altelay guys uh, about 18 months ago when um, uh, Candelaria Company and, and Altelay just started some very preliminary discussions together, the two groups looking for synergies. There were some common, common shareholders and what have you. There were some connections between us already. Um, so we went through some discussions at the time, uh, exploring ways we may be able to uh, cooperate 
uh, merge and do, do something like that together. Uh, in the end, we didn't take that any further at the time, but it was an introduction to some of the people involved um, and and reaching the conclusion then. But so, um, as I say, I joined Outlay in September. Um, Outlay didn't have an exemplary year last year. It's a uh, shocker, really, but it's just, the, you know, the, the share price for the last 18 months is, is, is not something you'd want to ski down. No, indeed. And so... I mean, obviously, I, having having had some of those preliminary discussions, you know, a, a year prior or whatever, I had some some understanding of the the assets and the people involved. Um, but they, you know, having established relationships, they reached out and said, "Look, um, uh, irrespective of those earlier discussions between the groups, which really, as I say, didn't didn't really go anywhere, um, we need some help." and um, Long story short, I I decided I would join in September and um, try to help. What was your brief when you joined? Turn it around. So you, just 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 um, you've got two operations. You've got Campo Morado, yes, and you've got um, Taweta. Um, Taweta, and Taweta is in. Um, I, I'm. There was a pre-feasibility study that was completed in April last year, and then kind of straight into construction. Um, yeah, it's more or less. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so when you joined, things had kind of how far down the construction route was Taweto? Well, despite some of the press releases earlier, which had given impressions that it, I mean, I think I think some of the press releases the company had issued, you know, during the course of last year, suggested that Taweto had been um, had been constructed or was ninety percent complete, probably for the prior nine months, but never seemed to get beyond ninety percent. Um, Construction had actually started some time before that uh, PFS update. The original PFS for Taweto was back in 2018, I believe. Um, so last year, April last year, the company issued an update, but construction was already advanced. Um, in fact, indeed, I think I think some prior press releases, perhaps in 2021, suggested that you know the project would be operating at a thousand tons a day a year ago last January. So, you know, therein, for Taweto and the performance last year, therein lies the rub, really. That was the problem, is uh, a succession of um, ad advisories, if you like, that had suggested that the company would be, was about to deliver the project. So a lot of raised expectations, but uh, unfortunately a failure to deliver on those. Um, repeatedly, unfortunately. So where has it got to now? What what's the stage of the asset or the kind of the development? So Taweto, there's two there's two stages, um, and I think this also, uh, in my view, when I joined, uh, I felt there was some confusion there, both internally and externally. I would say um, they there's there's two stages effectively uh, a 500 ton a day base case, if you like. And then a thousand ton a day expansion, and really, it's simplistically put that way because you have one ball mill to do five hundred, and then you need another one to do a thousand, and that was a sort of a simple partition. But I found that there was a, um, in a sense, there was a tendency of be, they were trying to do both at the same time. In a way, um, I didn't feel that there was enough uh, separation or clarity between those two stages um when i arrived the 
the first ball mill was was installed um, and indeed virtually and almost operating. Um, there was some final things to be done done on the crusher, the feed circuit, uh, you know, the crushing and uh, and conveyors and what have you. But the mill was sort of ready to go. Um, the first mill. So I said, look, um, what we need to do here is to finish that stage. Um, so the first the first goal is to deliver the 500 ton project, get that all working properly. Um, so we, we, we set aside, in a sense, set aside the 1,000 ton expansion as a stage two. So the, the 500 ton project now is about 85% complete. Um, the, two, the two key items remaining to, to finish that off, um, well, let me say three, perhaps I should say three, uh, is um, some final cyclones and pumps and what have you that will increase the, um, the, the comminution circuit capacity from what is installed at the moment at 350 tons a day to achieve the 500 ton a day designed capacity. So there's, uh, there's some additional work to do in the commutation circuit. Some of that, that, that equipment is already on order, in fact, so that's not far off. Um, the second major item is um, construction of the tailings facility, the definitive tailings facility. Um, that was suspended for a significant period last year due to an unusually heavy rainy season. Um, but we also, uh, again, uh, since, since I got involved, we've we've also changed the design slightly to break it into a couple of stages. Um, a slight increase in cost in doing that, but the the benefit of being able to place tailings in there in a stage one part of it um, at an earlier stage. Um, so, you, so you increase your capex a small amount, but for uh, operating flexibility and lower operating costs going forward. Yes, but, but with that ability to be able to use it earlier, yeah. It's a dry stack facility, so you know you can do those things with a relative amount of ease. Um, we're just now uh, we're just now going through the final discussions with the Tains consultants uh, in you know the the schedule and budget of that that uh, revision, if you like that that amendment to the design. Just about to finalise that and and get moving again. And the third, I mean, in terms of cost, the third sort of big ticket item there is a um, a, a second tailings filter press. Uh, I don't mention that because it's a reasonably large, you know, capital item. It's in the order of about six or seven hundred thousand dollars to to put one in. That's a backup. We've already got one operating, um, but it's a backup facility to allow us to, you know, sustain five hundred ton a day operations. So the goal is um, get the five hundred ton a day project delivered, um, and we're going to do that in Q two. How much? How much um, money are you, do you need for that? And how much money do you have? And how much income do you have? So the capital cost to finish off the 500 ton project is in the range of about four and a half to five US. So convert that to Canadian, if you if you will. Um, but it's um, it's of that it's of that order. Current cash will fluctuates quite a bit. We're sitting at just under just under a couple of million at the moment, but obviously we're we're producers, so that fluctuates significantly. Um, I mean, we'll come on to talk about Campo Morado in a minute, but uh, uh, Taueto itself is also in pre-production. Uh, we're doing, we're averaging about 300 tons a day there at the moment. 
um, and getting some reasonable revenues. We tend to, at that level, we get about um, $350,000 to $400,000 a week in revenue uh, from Taweto. Um, Campo Morado, we're doing, right now, we're doing something like $1 to $1.3 million a week in revenue. And that's going to improve in Q2 and, and in the second half of the year uh, still further. So we, we, we'll talk about Campo in a moment. But um, but in terms of funding in funding the um, uh, the 500 delivery for Taweta, yeah. um, we also announced a little while back uh, a rights offering. Um, the goal of that was to complete that project. Um, the quantum of that rights offering was 16 Canadian. Um, we haven't started that process yet. We've announced it, but it was prior to a consolidation. We'll have to revisit the pricing of it. But the goal there, the goal basically is to get the company funded and then deliver. You know? so, um, unfortunately, one of the things that, you know, one of the features of the, the performance last year and what I would say is a sort of a, a loss of credibility in the market for the company is a number of funding rounds last year. I mean, I think I think there were three, if I recall correctly. <laughs> Each time, of course, the message was, this is enough to get it built. And then the company went back to the market, do it again. And you just, yeah. you know, you do that once, it might get away with it, but do it two or three times and you really don't have any, you lose your credibility. So a big part of what, you know, what I've got to do this year now is to build some credibility again, you know, which means doing what we say we're going to do, um, uh, delivery, et cetera, et cetera. Right? We've, we've, that's how we're going to turn this, this around. So, so um, yeah. Uh, well, sorry. I think your, 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 your track record, you know, your operating background, the fact that you're a geologist with rock engineering, with a um, kind of economic studies with a kind of implementation and delivery background, you know, that all of those kind of key stages in your career uh, should give you the ability to, um, I, I mean, you, effectively what you're doing is ripping off the plaster yes. and saying, let's heal this and let's, we need to, yeah. um, you know, make it work. And obviously, you know, as I mentioned in an earlier press release, I mean, I naturally, you know, when I came in, I spent the first, I spent the last three or four months, basically the last three months, I suppose, um, digging into the weeds, as I as I describe it. You know, you're just getting into all the nitty gritty of the company and where things are at, and um, you know, across the board. I mean, uh, by 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 functional discipline, organisation, Tawito project budgets and schedules, uh, Campo Morado mine plans, history. I mean, I'd like to talk about Campo Morado because last year was also first half of last year wasn't wasn't good either. Second half improved, uh, you know, progressively improved, and we, I'm confident we're going to have a good year at Campo this year. 2021 was a very good year for Campo Morado. Um, I think the company generated something like 26 million dollars of of, of uh, cash in 2021. Right. Um, but anyway, I it's been a process of understanding where everything is at and and where are the you know where there are shortcomings why and how do we address those and we've started taking some steps now so the pre-feasibility study update from april last year in the, mm. you know, if you look at the recommendations it's about doing some um extra metallurgical test on the sinker vein and doing some exploration to kind of grow out your resource base but i didn't feel it was really kind of addressing the the elephant in the room which is kind of the operational and strategy 
Um, mm-hmm. uh, you're, you're taking a very, um, it's kind of a pragmatic approach to kind of sorting out the, 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 the process and the delivery. Um, does the asset behind it uh, have the capacity for you to run that 500 day ton per day uh, project without too much development cost, without too kind of long haulage distances? You know, what's the state of the asset behind the, the, the operation? Yeah, it's 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 good. Uh, I mean, that's obviously one of the reasons why I decided to to get involved. But for one thing, there's there's a lot of upside there. I mean, when you when you visit the property, um, in fact, you'll see some of the photographs that are available. You'll see this, um, and the updated presentation that she'll go on. If it's not on the website already, it'll be there just now. But uh, there's a there's a a view of the hillside, effectively the mountain slope. You know. Um, when you stand there, you can see the veins are outcropping. A lot of the veins are outcropping, uh, and you can trace them up the hillside. Um, the initial mining area is is a relatively small part of the overall. Uh, it's certainly a very small part of the overall concession area, but you can see it's a small part of the vein swarms that are all there, and, and really only exploiting two or three of those veins, whereas there are a, a, a multitude of them. So there's and the company Altale has never done any exploration. Um, there hasn't been any serious exploration done at, at Taweto since 2011 or something. So, um, so in that sense, lots of upside, which just hasn't been exploited. Yeah, look, otherwise, I mean, the assets good. The uh, at 500 ton a day, we could operate it at that level, obviously. Um, that at 500 ton a day, it's it's uh, operationally cash positive. Um, but you know, but there is some overhead there which needs to be managed. Um, you know, there is some there is some debt burden which is well known, uh, which we are, you know we also are managing, and um, to be able to to be able to ca- carry that overhead and and be, be profitable, we want to get the operation up to a thousand tons. You know, that's its nameplate capacity. That was the basis of the PFS. It's important to get up to that level now. To your point, up, up at that, operating at that level, um, when I got stuck into the, the sort of detail of that project with the team at site, um, it became evident, for example, that uh, within the mine, there would be some congestion issues uh, operating at that, at that level. So um, within the scope now of the thousand ton project is I mean, it's not it's not a it's not a big thing, but it's basically a, a, a sort of de bottlenecking all pass and some uh, associated access development to alleviate you know trucking congestion and things which we anticipated when we when we started working through the details. So, and really, you, you know, the the project is designed to operate a thousand tons a day for over ten years. The life of mine is ten and a half years, I believe. So, um, and that. And that doesn't include all the upside from from you know from all that resource uh, exploration potential that we have. So, so it's it's robust. It's just a matter of getting it operating at the level that it should be. I think there's scope as well. Clearly, there is scope to expand beyond the thousand tons a day. I wouldn't want to go too far. Um, there's been no study work done on an expansion beyond the thousand. So I've got no basis. It's just a, a judgment, but I think you could, you can certainly take it to fifteen hundred tons a day. Whether you could take it further than that, well, that just requires some study. But at the end of the day, it's a matter of 
you know, how many working faces have you got to provide, you know, to feed the mill? And uh, and um, the, the the rights raise you want to do, the, the $60 million offering that you mentioned, is that yeah. uh, would, is that enough capital to for you to uh, do that, get the second ball main, the mill in effectively? No. A significant part, well, just talking about the rights offering, so uh, there's a 10 million Canadian uh, proportion of that which is guaranteed and the company has already received uh, a significant amount of that as an advance, so to speak, to continue uh, continue with construction. Um, so that will that funding, uh, that quantum of funding allows us to deliver that 500 ton project. Delivery of the thousand then depends on a ver- you know various factors, most of which would be how how do we go in the rights offering. Uh, you know how, how much take up do we get, and of course our our cash forecasting. Um, so, in a sense, we can look at the thousand ton as a as a, a package um, that we can move in time, depending on some of these variables, and market conditions, and blah blah blah. Right. So, we've been a bit conservative in our metal pricing. Um, metal prices are actually doing fairly well, holding quite well. So. Um, there's there's various factors to consider as to when when we would implement that thousand ton project. Um, naturally, we would like to get it done earlier rather than later. Um, what I can say is that we will get it done by the end of the year. Um, but if we can get it done earlier than that, then you know we'll we'll see how these other factors play out. But I, first thing is get that five hundred ton finished. When you're on on development. You know what kind of um, what's your kind of your dollar rock you're talking about kind of recovered? You know, are you uh, do you do you work on an NSR basis for your kind of your, your mind blocks? Uh, we do. Um, can I quote those off the top of my head? Um, well, to give you an so to give you an idea, as I say, we're doing about three hundred tons a day at the moment, and that generates about three hundred and fifty to four hundred thousand uh, dollars a revenue a week. Okay. So yeah, yeah. Um, gotcha. So what does that um, make? Hundred something, hundred and ten dollar rock, something yeah. like that. Yeah, hundred and ten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and and your your um, underground operating costs. You, you know, I mean, uh, or your total cost per ton is is it quite tight? You know, in terms of your margin at the moment. Right now, it would be tight because I mean, you know, we're it's it's still developing as an operation, right? We're we're growing out the organisation. You know, we we've got two basically two sets of activities: construction and and tree production going on at the same time. Um, so, you know, I think on a on a sort of unit cost basis, the cost would be uh, you know would be high at the moment. Uh, not you know not what we would expect them to be once things are. A completed and B stabilized. So, um, off the top of my head, I forget what the numbers are in the PFS for the, the sort of uh, total operate, operating unit cost. But um, I know that later this later this year, once we've got the thousand ton done, I think we're in the range of about ninety dollars a ton or something as we start to stabilize after that. But obviously, in twenty twenty four. We would be then, you know, we would be uh, operating at the at the PFS sort of total opex figures, really. Um, and just um, and your mine width, kind of average mine width. Um, for... Yeah, it varies. It varies quite a bit, actually. Um, the 
some of the veins down I got down, down some of the veins go down to about a one 1.5 meters wide but we're operating in one at the moment that's nearly 15 meters wide so uh quite variable I would uh, uh again I, I'm sure this figures in the PFS but I would guess uh, I think the average is probably about three to four meters wide something like that um, you, at the how, moment how we're mind, operating how do you mind the Sorry. very narrow stuff well, at the moment we're operating, we're using cut and fill. Uh, the sort of pre-production period is using cut and fill. The PFS had a small amount of cut and fill in there, but was then was basically predicated on long holding operation. Um, in in practical terms, you're probably always going to have a mix of the two. Um, at the moment, you know, on the small scale we're operating, we're we're just using cut and fill. Um, obviously, that allows us to be particularly selective. Keep dilution down to a minimum. Um, we're using, uh, as I say, it's dry stack tails, and we're using we're using the tailings in the mining process, obviously, uh, at the backfill. Um, so yeah, currently cut and fill. But uh, you'll you'll see if you refer to the PFS, you'll see the um, the long haul layouts and what have you, uh, which is you know the bulk of the mining operation is is, is intended to be long haul. Not like, I mean, not large long holes, you know, long narrow benches. Um, but we do get some economies of scale there, of course. So uh, uh, that's the direction we'll be heading. We'll, we'll head in that direction once we're um, once we've got everything else sorted out. Good. Uh, well, let, do, let, let, let's let's yeah, move sorry. on to um, Campo Morado. Mm, okay. Mm -hmm. um, can you give me kind of a status status up there? To me, it seems as if it's kind of a, a metallurgical challenge, perhaps more than anything. But perhaps I'm I'm reading things wrong. No, not at all. You hit the nail on the head. Um, I wouldn't say well challenged. Campo is all right. It's VMS. Okay, it's one of those. It's one of those mines that's always going to require. Um, more than your average amount of technical management. It just requires that extra level of technical input um, on a routine operating basis, more than your average mine, you know, um, if I can be clumsy like that. Um, and there are really two parts, because it's a VMS deposit, there are fundamentally two parts of the operation. There's the base metal side of the side of the operation. Through and through flotation, you know, our recoveries of the precious metals are pretty low. I think our gold recoveries are only about 15% or so, 15, 15 to 20%, and silver's not much better, 25 to 30 or something. Um, you know, the, the, the precious metals are refractory. And so from a, from a recovery's point of view, there are two parts to it. There's the base metal concentrator, and then there's this opportunity to improve precious metal recoveries in the future through application of different technologies. Yeah. So um, I'll talk to I'll talk to both of those. The last year, what happened last year at Campo Morado, in in my view, is is illustrative of recent um, experience at the operation, which is that it's tended to have been more reactive than it has been proactive. What I mean by that is, and I'll tell the story of what happened last year as, as an illustration. So in, in 2021, as I said, they'd had a very good year. They'd been mining in a high-grade zinc ore body. Um, uh, that our ore body is called El Largo, the big one. And um, uh, in Q1 last year, they were reaching, it was coming towards the end of that, that ore zone. Um, now, Campo Morado, for those who are not familiar, there's a, 
There's a multitude of different ore bodies there. They're all fundamentally three-dimensional and lots of different shapes and sizes. Um, some of them are, are uh, relatively zinc-rich, some of them are relatively copper-rich, um, etc. So there's quite a lot of variability between the different ore zones in, in the mine. So they were operating in this zinc one, they're coming towards depletion of that area, and they moved into a part of the ore body which had much higher iron grades. Now the net impact of that was it had a it had a negative impact on the comminution circuit. They weren't getting the throughput in the mill that they had expected or had been enjoying. Uh, and also it, it impacted downstream on recovery. So they had poor performance from that material, mostly due to the high iron grades. Um, they had a sort of whoopsie moment and then decided to move, migrate the, the focus of operations to another ore body to alleviate that problem. That ore body was relatively copper rich. Now, of course, the plant had been tuned or optimized to handle the high zinc material. Um, when they switched to copper, um, the plant wasn't optimized for copper. And so effectively, the, the realization and, and the shift to another area was in Q1. Q2 was tune the plant to the new material and get it operating properly, uh, you know, to get decent enough recoveries. And that they took up the whole first half of the year, which was poor performance. Hindsight's always 2020, but one would look at that now and say, well, that was predictable or avoidable if there had been sufficient metallurgical work done beforehand and et cetera, et cetera, you know, and uh, uh, appropriate planning. As I say, illustrative of what can go wrong or why it's more reactive rather than being proactive. What do we do about it? Well, we be we now um, you know need to be more proactive. So there's some um, consulting engineers of Senko that I worked with when I was with London Mining in Chile, um, and these guys I knew new process you know new um, base metal flotation plants inside out. So I brought them to Campo Morado last year in October. Um, and the outcome of that was a few things, but basically they gave us a roadmap now of how they went through the plant from one end to the other and at every stage in the circuit gave us, you know, how is the plant configured? How, how well is it operating its performance, et cetera? What are the shortcomings? What are the opportunities? Da, 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 da. So we've got a, 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 a detailed roadmap now as to how to progressively improve performance at Campo Morado at the Campo Amarado plant. Um, but the, uh, the one of the underlying, uh, and I'd say fairly obvious uh, requirements at Campo is this discipline called geometallurgy, um, sometimes called mine to mill, whatever, but geometallurgy is what it needs, right? So there has to be a, um, an intimate union between an understanding of the mineralogy uh, the characteristics of the ore zones that you're going to be operating, mining, and how they will perform in the plant. And that that marriage has to happen like daily. Um, there has to be a very intimate, that interlinking in the in the planning process of the mine. And, and oh. yeah, exactly. Scheduling. You need to know what kind of stuff is going to be coming out when. Yeah. And, and you know, if you've got two, if you've got two ore zones, which are in terms of their metallurgical characteristics are different, then what you don't want to do is blend them and stick it in the plant because you'll just get suboptimal performance. You can have two ore zones which actually have similar metallurgical characteristics, you know, be it min mineralogy or liberation or whatever, and 
those can be blended. And in fact, by blending them, you get a more consistent plant performance. So being smart about it, I guess, is, is one way of putting it. And since I came in, we've now been through our third iteration of the mine plan for Campo Morado for this year. Um, so we've got a plan now, which I'm quite confident in. And the, I've, been, I've been very pleased that the, the, the site management at, at the mine have really embraced this, um, this, you know, this requirement uh, to, 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 to integrate geometallurgy into the day-to-day -day planning. Um, they, have, they have their weekly meetings now on geometallurgy and, and uh, you know, they, they've all embraced this really well. So, um, so that's 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 one thing. It's is that's changing, and that's being much more forward-looking and proactive. We've got you know we're doing more metallurgical test work. That as a requirement is just going to continue now. We'll just always be doing more met test work uh, to be. Well, it's really about no surprises. Okay, it's it's to be as well prepared as we can be to understand these different ore zones as well as we can before we process them. So. We also took a conscious decision back in December to um, increase the focus on our copper ore bodies, um, partly because you know we we we, we believe that copper is going to have a strong uh, a, a strong period now, um, but also we've also been able to improve our copper recovery. So we've. Um, we've just just now commissioning uh, some additional flotation cells, they're called sub-A cells, which we've added into the circuit, um, which are really an extra level of cleaning. So we've, in fact, we're improving our, our copper concentrate grade uh, by 5%. Um, that'll really come in in March. We're, uh, we're developing over towards these copper-rich copper, copper ore bodies right now. Um, We've reached one and we're about to reach another. So during the latter part of February, we'll be operating in there. And in March, we expect to be, you know, producing uh, significantly more copper um, as a contributor to our revenue. I think it give you an idea. It's, I think tradition or historically, um, copper concentrates have comprised something like 25% of the revenue stream. And this now that will increase to about 40%. Uh, and the value we get from the copper con is is not just the copper, but we also get high silver tenors in our copper concentrates to the to the tune of seven or eight hundred grams a ton. So um, silver is an important contributor as well to that uh, copper concentrate revenue. So that that's gonna you know that'll have a good positive impact on our revenues for uh, for this year. Um, so starting in March. Um, We'll be we'll be operating at that in those materials, and so we're going to have a good Q2. Um, and the forecasts show us that actually the second half of the year is going to be even even better. So, and I think overall uh, our EBITDA for this year for Campo is I think the average is over the whole year is about one point one point three uh, one point three million dollars um, a month. Great! What a great what a great contributor. But it's yeah, and it's in the second half of the year, it's actually somewhat more than that. That's the average for the whole year. So, so it's going to be it, it's going to be good for us, and and you know, determined to have a better turnaround year for Campo. So, I, but back to your original question, yes, it's it's a it's an operation that um, just requires an extra level of TLC, if you like, but you know, to make it work. 
Um, but and, you can. And um, I see mentions of um, ultra fine grinding or micro regrinding. Is is that to to tackle the precious metals and to try and kind of deal with the refractory nature there? Or was that just uh, a function uh, of some only, of the work you did last no, year? No, only partly. It's also just about liberation and getting decent recoveries for the base metals as well. You know, and I think with the roadmap that Asenko provided us now, we'll see uh, progressive improvements on a number of fronts. You know, we're starting at the front end. We're, we're doing some optimizations around the grinding circuit. Um, in fact, even, even upstream from there, one of the recommendations was just to do more blending in the mine and also on surface so that we... The key, the key goal, first prize, is to stabilize the, the mill, stabilize the plant, because it's been so reactive and things in the past, and uh, it's operating in some, in some respects outside of its original design. So um, it's really stabilized that operation, consistent plant feed, consistent plant performance. Um, when you change all bodies with different characteristics, be, you know, well, uh, be well aware of that in advance as to what that material is and how it's going to perform. Um, not, not to have to spend two months then reconfiguring the plant to make it work again. You know? So smoothing everything out through better planning. Um, I should say none of this, none of the upside, none of the opportunities or the process improvements that Asenko have helped us to identify, none of that is factored into the plans for this year. Um, that's all upside. Um, the plan for this year is based on current plant configuration and performance. So, you know, so there is upside there, which we may also realize some of. Um, I just don't want to commit there until we've, you know, done more work. But there is, you know, and that if we were to implement all of the recommendations that Osenko have provided to us, then that might be 18 months or two years of work, you know. Um, but there's some low hanging fruit in there and uh, some very interesting opportunities. Um, the previous owners, Nearstar, uh, actually did a lot of good metallurgical work themselves when they owned the project. Um, one of the things they did was to test the impact of fresh water rather than using um, recycled plant water. At, with the configuration of the plant they had at the time and the reagents they were using at the time, etc., etc., they got a 14% increase in copper recovery by using fresh, fresh water. I mean, good grief, uh, which is massive. So um, we've started doing our own test work on, on, you know, on different water qualities um, with the current configuration and the current reagents to see whether that opportunity is still there. Even if it's only half of that, then it's still a big thing. You know, I mean, Nearstar had a, actually took it to the stage where they had a water treatment plant project. Um, but then the, you know, the market uh, took a dive, the mine was closed, and these things, these initiatives were never picked up again when Altele acquired the project. Yeah. Uh, but we're dusting them off now, and, and, and we've got some other recommendations as well, some fresh ideas from Rosenko. So I'm, I'm very encouraged now. I think you know, we've got a lot to get our teeth into at Campo, but um, uh, I think we're also going to show this year that you know, by by being diligent about it and doing the right type of planning and things, then you know you can you can provide more consistent performance um, and hopefully gradually build on that. Um, good, thank you so much. Goodness, I've I've learned so much from you in this in this interview. Um, one question which I was kind of pending from my kind of prior research was about um, Roberto Guzman or Robert Guzman, the um, oh, yeah. who's a kind of a who's listed as a um, he's, he's a director. Um, but yes. he's a controlling shareholder with an intent to sell. 
Can what's what's the what's the background there? I don't I don't have the full picture. No, I don't think I don't think anybody has the full picture. Um, I, he uh, he has an intention to transfer that block, but he's um, you know I, I'm I'm un, I'm assured that he is not intending to sell it on the open market. Um, it's a transfer. What size is his block? Uh, to be honest, off the top of my head, I'm not sure. He was a significant, I mean, he was something like a 20% plus shareholder, but I believe it's significantly less than that now. Apologies if I don't have that number right to hand, but I, um, it's, it's not of that sort of level now. But it's, it, you know, I suppose the question really is, is he going, you know, was he going to be selling, is it, a, is it an overhang? Was he going to sell it on open market, which is a lot of people are concerned about. And I'm, I'm assured that he's not going to be doing that. He's going to transfer it to another entity who are in it in it for the long run sort of thing. So they're not going to be sellers. Um, the other block that often is, we often get asked about is also the Ascendo Banco block, because that was, you know, that was one of the challenges the company had in terms of uh, funding and delivering the Tawoto project was the the um, failure of that Ascendo Banco back in September 21. Um, you know, Ascendo had a, uh, a debt facility with the company, um, uh, they also were shareholders. They went into liquidation in September 21. The liquidators are KPMG in Mexico. Um, they have been gradually selling the stock uh, on the open market in sort of a trickle rate. Um, I think they've just gone below now the 10% reporting threshold. So, um, you know, so we no longer have visibility about how much they've got left, but uh, through dilution and just gradual trickle sales, uh, it's uh, it's no longer really a significant sort of uh, component. So still, it'll be good. To, again, it'll be good to clear it out. Well, you, you know, once it's out, once yeah, you've yeah. got a kind of a long-term seller out of the system, then suddenly you can. Um, no, no, you, very, you important, can very important. Very yeah. important. And we look, all I can say on that is that there are a number of uh, groups who are negotiating with the um, uh, liquidator to do just that, to acquire that block. Um, I don't know what stage that is at, uh, but um, you know it is available and uh, a number of people are interested in acquiring it. Obviously, at a, you know, it would be quite an attractive um, price, uh, but that would just take that out and that's, that would be very helpful as well. So, Well, Mike, yeah. thank you so much for your time. I, I, I really uh, appreciate the, the way that you're tackling the challenge uh, of, of um, turning these operations around. Um, I think you said it yourself, it's very much about building credibility step by step, um, seeing how the rights offering goes, you know, that $16 million, um, <clears throat> a clear, cleaning up the capital structure, it's going to be slow and steady, I feel, for a number of months until you've got that the capital structure matching the the, the progress and the delivery that you can bring forward yeah. um, into the into the market on the kind of the technical delivery. Um, what what do you ex expect in terms of uh, news flow? I mean, have you got a have you discussed it at the board level? You know what your strategy is for um, uh, communication mm. with the market. Uh, well, absolutely. Um, I've just come back from, from Vancouver. So we were present at the Metal Investors Forum and also the BRIC. There's three events back to back in Vancouver over this period. It's a, it's a hectic six or seven days. Yeah, roundup as well. The roundup, yeah. the roundup proceeds it. Yeah, we didn't do the roundup this time. But 
Um, so uh, your viewers will see a whole series of interviews with me and a couple of uh, presentations at conferences there as a part of the same process of um, you know, just getting the story out. Um, we've got some other press releases planned. We're just about to issue one uh, on our on our work, which we haven't spoken about now, actually. But um, uh, your followers will will be interested to read that press release. It's going to explain uh, all the work we've been doing on the precious metals at Campo Morado. Um, we have. We have run a variety of tests on different technologies to see what is possible. Just on that, um, you know, I uh, what I want to do on that this year is uh, it's been a bit of a shotgun approach at the moment. Let's try this one and let's try that one. Uh, you know, I want to bring all that together into a sort of scoping style study that will uh, set the part. You know, help us decide which direction to take. The opportunity there is huge, though. You know, I mean, if we can change our gold recovery from fifteen or twenty up to sixty or seventy percent, then that you know that's that's a big uh, that's a big carrot. So um, we'll we'll be focused on on stabilizing, optimizing the base metals part of the operation right now, but we're going to continue doing that work as well on precious metals and uh, hopefully see a bit of traction on precious metal recoveries during twenty twenty four. I think. To your previous point, um, you know, uh, the focus for us is really, I mean, look, we're a mining company, right? We're a mining company with an operating mine and and almost another one. By the end of this, this year, we'll have two operating mines, both operating a nameplate, both profitable. Um, our current market cap is 14 million Canadian or something ridiculous. Um, I'm sitting in these booths at these conferences, looking at the adjacent booth, which is an exploration play without even a resource, and their market cap is $100 million. And I think there's got to be something wrong here. I don't understand. <laughs> I do understand, and it's it's a reflection of the company's performance uh, and you know a variety of factors like that. In Q2, when we, when we deliver the 500-ton project, finally, there'll be a huge sigh of relief through the market. Um, Campo Morado is going to have a good Q2. Um, and we'll build from there. I think we'll start to get some re-rating, you know, in the market. Uh, people will realize that we've actually started delivering. Um, performance, you know, will be improving for the rest of the year. So I think, you know, the way I've been saying, describing it to people, I, I, I see 2023 is really the turnaround story for us. You know, we're going to turn this company around, deliver. We'll get some re-rating in the market. That'll have a lot of, you know, a positive spin-offs for us. Um, but right now, it's, it's, I mean, it's, you know, it's, it, I think the company is ridiculously undervalued. So there we go. I think you've said it. Turn around, deliver, re-rate. Simple as that. Yeah. Simple as that. Good. Well, um, go get them. <laughs> go get them, yeah. <laughs> okay. Great. Thank you very much. Pleasure to see you. Yeah. Thanks very much, Molly.